Congregation, let us turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 18, questions and answers 46 through 49. How does the understand these words? He ascended into heaven. Answer, that Christ, in sight of his disciples, was taken up from earth into heaven, and that he continues there for our interest until he comes again to judge the quick and the dead. Is not Christ then with us even to the end of the world, as he has promised? Christ is very man and very God. With respect to his human nature, he is no more on earth, but with respect to his Godhead, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is at no time absent from us. But if his human nature is not present, wherever his Godhead is, are not then these two natures in Christ separated from one another? Not at all. For since the Godhead is illimitable and omnipresent, it must necessarily follow that the same is beyond the limits of the human nature he assumed and yet is, nevertheless, in this human nature and remains personally united to it. Of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven? First, that he is our advocate in the presence of his Father in heaven. Secondly, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, as the head, will also take up to himself us, his members. Thirdly, that he sends us his spirit as an earnest, by whose power we see the things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and all things on earth. So far, some advantages of the ascension of Christ. Tonight, some advantages of the ascension of Christ. Three main thoughts. The advantage of having the best advocate. Secondly, the advantage of having our body in heaven. In third place, the advantage of a seal in our heart. So, some advantages of the ascension of Christ, the advantage of having the best advocate, the advantage of having our body in heaven, 
and the advantage of a seal in our heart. Congregation, young people, you may remember, five steps down and four steps up. Do you ring a bell? Five steps in his humiliation. Starting with the humble birth and his suffering and his crucifixion and his burial and the descent into hell. But then also four up. His resurrection, his ascension, his sitting at the right hand of the Father. And what is the fourth one? You know? The fourth one is yet future. The fourth step of exaltation has not happened yet. That is his second coming. When the Lord Jesus returns, it is a fourth step of exaltation. In those five steps of humiliation, God frowned on his son. And he was, in the eyes of his father, the culprit. But in the fourth step up, his father smiles on him. He's good with him. And that's why it's called exaltation. So today we will deal with the second step of exaltation, being the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we first will deal with the questions 46 through 48, as they deal with some points of doctrine, and then we go to the last question with all those advantages in there. Could you mention some characteristics of ascension? What do you mean, ascension? Is that real? Is that visible? Is that local? I mean, is it regional? Is it so that he went from one place to the other place? Well, yes. The essential Lord Jesus Christ is true. It's history. It happened. It really happened. And disciples also were witnesses of that and reported also to others. They have seen it with their own eyes. Modern man laughs about that. People say, I cannot believe that you still adhere to that. In those churches, that, do you really believe that the Lord Jesus ascended? Uh, that he rose from the dead and is absurd in the time and age we live in? How can you still believe that? Well, Apparently, we are now talking to someone who is a naturalist, naturalist, or a materialist. And for them, if they have that philosophy, there's nothing else but nature. 
is no supernature. Nothing can happen supernatural. It's all natural. It's the only thing, the only reality that exists. If you think that way, if that's your philosophy, that only the visual things, the material things are real, then there's no God, no soul, no spirit, no miracles. So then you have to just turn your back into all that. But then your world is very small too. The small world of but I can absorb, but I can understand. And if there's something I don't understand, I say I can't believe it. That's easy. But we believe that even if the human brain cannot fathom it, even if the human brain cannot believe it, it yet happened. The Lord is almighty. And he is a God who can do things we call miracles, wonders of his grace. And the resurrection and ascension, rather, of Christ is also visible. They have seen him going up. They have not seen him rise. They have not seen the Lord Jesus getting out of the grave. Nobody has seen that. But the Lord Jesus, when he ascended, he made it visible. And he had those 11 witnesses, his disciples around him. And they saw, it. They saw him ascending. And the disciples loved to see him go. At least after the angels spoke to them, they went with gladness back to Jerusalem. How can it be? How can it be so happy about the ascension of Jesus? He left. They don't care that he left. Did they not hope that he would stay? No. They have been educated now. They were ready for it now, and they were praising God. And it was true happiness in their hearts. Then they went back to Jerusalem and had to wait another 10 days before became Pentecost. It was all well. So the ascension of Christ was true and visible and also local. What I mean is, he moved from one place to the other. He has a human body, and his human body did not become omnipresent, as Luther assumed. No, his body is real. His body can move from one place to the other place, and his body left the earth. And his body went to heaven. So consequently, heaven is a place, is a local place, also physically. Because you have a 
physical body, and in his physical body, he left. And since the time of the ascension of Christ, we live in the last days. Christ reigns in heaven, and we are waiting for the second coming, waiting for the fourth step of his exaltation. In the meantime, Satan is bound. In the meantime, mission work is somewhat successful. All the nations of the earth will be reached. And Satan, in a sense, is bound. There will still be a time of turmoil and of conversion to Jews. A few more things. Pestilences, rumors of wars. But the Lord Jesus is coming back. So ascension is not a feeling. Ascension is not a belief only. It has happened in the history of this world. So how dost thou understand the words, he ascended into heaven, that Christ is sight of his disciples, see that? Was taken up from earth into heaven locally, and then he continues there for our interest until he comes again to judge the quick and the dead. And see it in 47. Is not Christ then with us even to the end of the world as he has promised? Christ is very man. And very God, with respect to his human nature, he is no more on earth. But with respect to his Godhead, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is at no time absent from us. So his body is in heaven and only there. His divine nature is very present. And then the question that was also alive in those days, but if his human nature is not present, wherever his Godhead is, are not then these two natures in Christ separated from one another? No. Because his human nature is in one place at a time, but his divine nature is everywhere. So they can still connect. This was important for the instructors of our people and the catechism because Luther thought that the body of Christ was omnipresent. And he needed to believe that because he wanted the bread in the Lord's Supper to be the real body of Christ. So he said, it's in there. The Roman Catholic Church said the bread is the body of Christ. Luther said, no, it is in there. And we say the body of Christ is in heaven. And nowhere else. So let us now continue to the question 
49. Of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven. Advantage. What is an advantage? Why should we talk about it? And is it biblical to talk about something that is to our advantage? Is that not selfish? Well, we see it rather often in the Heidelberg Catechism, don't we? We, are, we, read, we read about the comfort of things, the profit, what is the benefit, what is the gain. So it is important to know why the Lord Jesus ascended and what the purpose is. So that we may see what the comfort is and the advantage and the profit and benefit. It's important to know that. What is the sense of knowing the doctrine or believing it if it does not do us any good? The true religion is very helpful, very fulfilling, very humbling, makes us very dependent, makes us feel very unworthy, also thankful. Now, in between, this insert is, is it possible to feel at the same time thankful and unworthy? What do you think? Oh, yeah. God's children, often, especially when they are so thankful, they feel so unworthy. If you don't feel unworthy, the thankfulness does not mean much. There's no few much. But there's those deep convictions that are unworthy, the least of the blessings, and yet that they receive God's mercy and grace makes it such a wonder. They're thankful and comforted and at the same time feel unworthy. It's a mark of true thankfulness when people feel unworthy. So, for example, receiving a baby, a child, and parents say, we are so thankful. Really? You only feel really thankful when you feel unworthy. That is true thankfulness. And that's also true for the doctrine of the ascension of Jesus. It can be a real comfort. You may be really thankful for it, but then you also feel unworthy of it. But let me just mention a few texts from the Bible, hoping that you may become jealous of the benefits, the gains, the profits, the comforts of the Bible. You remember Paul with the thorn in his flesh, right? He mentioned it this morning, I believe. My grace is sufficient unto you. Sufficient. Enough. You don't need more. And if you know something of the ascension of Jesus, 
if that is your comfort, your benefit, you have everything. You don't need more. My grace is sufficient unto you. Would you not see that, younger ones, older ones? But we see something that is so satisfying that it is sufficient. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For the contentment, when we see something of the value of the ascension of Jesus, not only sufficient, also gives such a contentment, such a happiness, such a, a gain. So see the Lord and see the Lord Jesus and see the value and the beauty of his ascension so you may have that great gain. Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So both, this life and the future life, that godliness is profitable unto all things. Also, the ascension of Jesus. Riches and honor are with me. Yea, durable riches and righteousness. We read in Proverbs 8, Lord Jesus speaking, riches and honor are with me. So the resurrected Jesus ascended into heaven. He has durable riches. He has righteousness. He has all things we are in need of. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you may have that resurrected and ascended Jesus, then your death is only gain, not loss, gain. But let us go to question 49 now. Of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven? First, that he is our advocate in the presence of his Father in heaven. Let us think of the tabernacle. Children, have you seen a picture of the tabernacle in school? Have you seen a model maybe? The, the, the tent with all the tarps and cloth. That tabernacle was made by by the people, by the Jews. And human hands were putting things together. So it was not made by the Lord. It was made by people. Of course, under God's blessing. So the tabernacle was made by people with human hands. It was an earthly tabernacle. And the high priest went in there once a year 
on the Day of Atonement, and he went in there as a person in the earthly tabernacle. But this high priest that you see going in there is not the real high priest. Because the Lord Jesus is, right? He is only a type. He's only a shadow of the real Lord Jesus, who is the advocate and the high priest. But the Lord Jesus, the high priest, did not go to the earthly tabernacle, but he went to the heavenly tabernacle. Not only the high priest is an example of the Lord Jesus, but the tabernacle and later the temple examples of heaven. In heaven is also a temple. In heaven is also a tabernacle. In fact, it is the tabernacle. It is the tabernacle not made with hands. Hebrews 9, verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, beside the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So the Lord Jesus is the high priest. He is an advocate. Advocate means someone who is called in, is called by, is a helper, is a comforter. He's a lawyer, someone with real help. And he is at the right hand of the Father. He has entered into the most holy place, not made with hands. And he is in the presence of God for us, for the church. That is ascension, isn't it? Ascension is that the Lord Jesus went to the temple, not made with hands. And is in heaven before his Father for the church. Christ went there. The disciples saw him go with their own eyes. And there in heaven, the Lord Jesus is praying. Praying for his church. If you'd like to know more about that prayer of the Lord Jesus, you should slowly read John 17. Many texts in John 17 are parts of that high priestly prayer that he continues to pray in heaven, in the temple, not made with hands. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He prays. What does he pray? 
listen, listen to a part of his prayer. I come to thee, he said. I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So the Lord Jesus is praying in heaven for the unity of the church. Whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So to hang on, to have togetherness, to be a congregation, is biblical. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. So the Lord Jesus is praying at the right hand of the Father, and he prays to keep them from evil. And they will be kept from evil. They will not lose their salvation. They cannot. Because people cannot lose grace. Because the Lord Jesus is praying for them. Day and night and all the time and never fails. He just keeps praying. In fact, he prayed already for them when they were living in the world and didn't care. And were dead in sins and trespasses. And were hostile and laughed things away and said goodbye to their upbringing. All of those living in sin. All in those times, the Lord Jesus prayed for them. He prayed for the church when they're still dead in sins. And now he has them in his hands and he says, Father, keep them from evil. That is what the Lord Jesus was doing in heaven. That's why he went there. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the Lord Jesus is praying his Father to sanctify them, to make them holier through the truth, through the Bible. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. That's hard, isn't it? The Lord Jesus prays for the elect, and he will have them. He will keep them, and none of them will be lost. He prays for them. He does not pray for the world. No. And yet, he prays for them that will believe in him, that they may be one flock and have one shepherd. I have given them thy words, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the earth. So the Lord Jesus prays for the elect 
and we preach him to all. We preach him to every one of you. That you are welcome, that you must repent, that the door is open. We also teach that the Lord Jesus prayed for the elect that they will be saved. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me that I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. So the Lord Jesus is in heaven, and he prays to the Father, Father, let them behold my glory. Show them my beauty. So although he do, does not pray for everyone, yet he preach him to all. That sounds contradictory, but it is biblical. But if you may know him, you have an advocate. No matter the circumstances, outside and inside, be of good courage, your case is well presented, and the advocate does not negotiate with the Father, but he claims the church. He says, I have paid for them. I have given my blood. Oh, church of God, he thinks of us. He loves us. He is faithful. Fear not, little flock. Satan may howl, and your heart may, be, may accuse you, but you are justified by faith. And don't forget, he keeps praying, even when you get sick, even when you're unconscious. Even when you have Alzheimer's. Even when you can't think anymore. Even when you're dying. And no country is possible. He keeps praying for his people. Seeing then that we are, that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Hold fast. So the Lord Jesus says to his disciples that they should hold fast and not let go. And the Lord also gives that. It is command. It is also his promise. They, he knows that they cannot hold fast but he will make them to hold fast. What an advantage to have such a high priest at the right hand of the Father brings to the next thought the advantage of having our body in heaven. Back to question 49. Secondly, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge. And he as the head will also take up to himself 
us, his members. Christ ascended with his human body. He did not shed it. He did not take his human nature off. When he came on earth in his incarnation, he took upon himself the human nature. But you would maybe expect that at the end of the work he would just lay down again and say, I have been man for a while. Now I don't need to be anymore. So I can let this human nature go. No. He keeps it. He keeps that human nature and he takes it to heaven. It's so important. Because that means something for the church. Namely, that the Lord also cares for their body. And that he will take their body also up to him. At his second coming, he will take the body of his people to rise and to ascend and then will be placed on the new earth with the real body. And the Lord Jesus keeps his body. His body and his soul. He has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we talked about the expressions in him, right? And with him. There's another one. They were together. Wherever Jesus goes, he takes his church with him, in him, and they are together. Together is a very important word in the New Testament. So he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. So I see in heaven the Lord Jesus also see his church with him. Because they sit with him. You cannot separate them. But Christ is the churches. The inseparable. See? Let us repeat here our respect for the bodies. We think a lot about the soul but the body is also part of the image of God and certainly belongs to the body of Christ. Just go over your head. Say, this is too difficult for me. For me too. I am mind-boggled. I just don't understand it. But you have to respect the Bible. If it is in the Bible, it is important. There must be an advantage of it somehow. We have often that foolishness in our heart. We say, I, I don't, don't understand this. Like those two men traveling to Emmaus, Cleopas, 
and his friends. Right? They also were not understanding it. And Lord Jesus said, Oh fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And to enter into his glory. Lord Jesus was talking to Cleopas and his friend about ascension day. He said, we read in the Bible that the Lord Jesus, that the Messiah had to suffer and to die, also to be raised and to also be exalted on high. Raised into his glory, enter into his glory. Now ye are the body of Christ. Apostle Paul speaking to the church. He says, you are the body. Know ye now that your bodies are the members of Christ? Members of Christ, the body. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. See that how important the body is to keep the body clean. So we need that exalted Lord Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father, brings the last thought. The congregation we read in the last part of answer 49, thirdly, that he sends us his spirit as an earnest by whose power we see the things which are above that Christ sitteth on the right hand of God and not things on earth. What this is about? It is about assurance. It's one thing to have grace another thing to know that you have grace. It's one thing to be converted and another thing to know that you are converted. How do you know? How can you be sure? Now some say, just pound it in your head. Just repeat it to yourself. You have to believe. You have to believe. You have to believe. You should. It's a sin not to. And they force themselves to profess. I don't need to talk about it, right? That is fake. But how does the Lord let his people know? Well, sometimes by marks. So the Lord gives the marks in the Bible and just brings them to the attention by the Holy Spirit and there comes joy in their hearts because they cannot deny those things, and the Holy Spirit blesses that examination and blesses also look at those marks, and they don't feel that they qualify, but they see the Lord's work in them. 
because those marks cannot be denied. But there's also another way. By a direct application of the Bible upon the heart. That God's children hear the word of God, was read, was preached, and it goes straight to the heart. And there's an earnest, an earnest in the heart. Not, not something serious, but earnest does not, make, does not mean serious here. Something that is an earnest thing, serious thing. No, earnest here is something else. He sends us his spirit as an earnest. So the spirit gives that earnest, gives that stamp on it. So then they know this is the Lord's work. I have heard it from his own mouth. Such an overwhelming warmth. So personal. As if you hear, as if, as if you hear an audible voice. It's not audible. But as, it feels like. So clear. Be read three times in the Bible. Very earnest. Also in 2 Corinthians 5, now he that has wrought us for the self, same thing is God, who also has given us the earnest of the Spirit. And very clear is Ephesians 1, verse 13, in whom also after that he believed, he was sealed. After he believed, he was sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Do you know about that? Has not spoken to your heart of his salvation? Has not applied with his spirit? He makes room for it. There is a hole in the heart. There is guilt. There is unworthiness. You never qualify with any, with any of those things, by the way. And then the Lord let the text of the word of God land in your heart. He makes it so beautiful, so suitable, so precious, so necessary that you know the Lord is speaking to me. And those moments, even if the whole world would say, you're deceiving yourself. Say, I don't. The Lord spoke. He has laid it in my own heart, the earnest of the Spirit. That is precious. It's also explained in Romans 8, a little different. The word earnest is not used, but the word witness is used. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, thereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are God's people. 
So then this is a genuine confession. Abba, Father, there's nothing in between the sinner and the Lord anymore. It's open. It's forgiveness. You know it. Sometimes the Lord gives that at the Lord's table. Sometimes in church. Sometimes at home. Most often under the preaching. Then the Lord uses that. But more, the Spirit doesn't only assure, the Spirit also sanctifies and gives a different type of life. People begin to seek the things which are above, that Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and not things on earth. And the Lord gives you a new heart. So many things that are becoming futile. These things are so important. You idolize them. They meant everything to you. Not anymore. You cannot die with it. It does not give you true happiness. It does not really fill your heart. You begin to see things above that Christ sitteth on the right hand of the Father. You become a pilgrim, he belong. You become a sojourner on earth. Your focal point is now heaven. Right? Heaven. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, that Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. One more thing. Our forefathers spoke about the ascension, but they did not tell us everything. Can be, right? There's so much more. So they always, they always make a selection. And he'd have, in the advantage, if he have three selections, there's more. And they just had a desire to, to add one thing. From Ephesians 4. Why is ascension important? It is important for having ministers in the church. It's important because the Lord Jesus goes to heaven to give gifts to men so that they may preach the word. Ephesians 4. Therefore he saith, when he ascended up high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers 
for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Is it not enticing? Young men, boys, ask the Lord if you may also receive that office. Because that is a gift from the one sitting at the right hand of the Father. He gives still apostles. No, he, gives, he still gives pastors and teachers. He still do the same thing. To the perfecting of God's people. To minister, to edify. Don't be ashamed of having that desire. And ask those for opening. For a calling. Seek those things which are above that Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, not things on earth. Things on earth, they leave empty. You want more and more, like salt water, right? If you have shipwreck on the ocean, and you're in a little day, and you just are floating, and you need, you're so thirsty. You need to drink water, sea water. It makes it so much worse. You die from that. Don't do it. Don't drink it. And the same thing is true for the things of this life. The more you drink of sinful things, and even the more you think of things that are in itself not wrong, but you drink too much, it will kill you. And it's everlasting damnation. I hope that you are made jealous of the work of the Spirit. What an advantage, what a comfort, what a gain, what a blessing. The Lord is not done yet. The Lord Jesus is still the right hand of the Father, and He still prays. For more people to be converted. And they will hear his word and follow him. Amen.